You'll take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 24. We've been following along with Dr. Luke as he has been presenting the what we call the Passion Week. So we looked at how Jesus came in on Passover and came into the city and how Luke unpacked it for us. We saw on Good Friday on the evening how Jesus died and what were the things that Dr. Luke put forward to us. And then this morning we're going to be looking at Dr. Luke's presentation of the first Easter. And you will see that he has done a progression and we're only going to look at one section of it. We're only going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 this morning. But Dr. Luke puts for us this progression of how Jesus shows himself on the first Easter morning. And the first thing that he does is Jesus is risen, but he is not present with the women. But then he goes on to have a later afternoon presentation with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus is present, but he's not recognized by them. But then he gives to us the experience in the evening where Jesus is both present and he is recognized. And so he gives us this progression of this understanding, but we should ask the question of why? Why does Dr. Luke go through this progression What is it to us that he would tell us and give us this understanding of this progression? Because I think if we're honest, a lot of times we have to look and say, probably like the disciples to the women at the beginning, you're crazy. Jesus really isn't risen from the dead. So I want you to be asking those kind of questions as we come to the passage. And so again, take your scriptures and read with me from Revelation, from, excuse me, Luke 24, verses 1 through 12 this morning. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now as Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to you, these are your words, and because they're your words, they're true. And so, Father, apply them to us. For those that are questioning, answer. For those who are seeking, let them find. For those that are distraught, encourage. For those that are seeking to honor and glorify you, receive it this morning. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is there is resurrection confusion. There is the women who are perplexed. Now, we have to understand that there's a commitment here. 
And these sweet women were standing by Jesus even with broken hearts, but they were not going to allow the things that had happened to their friend, to their Savior, to the one that they looked to, to keep them away. And so it says at early dawn. Now, for those of you who've ever been in the military, we talk about zero dark 30. It's that time where it's so dark and it's getting to be about a time where the sun's coming up. And so the women had to wait until that one moment where the the Sabbath was over and the new day had, had come. And so they were waiting they were waiting for that exact moment, and as they, that exact moment came, they left because they wanted to finish what they had started on Friday. They were so committed to Jesus Christ, and they wanted to give him the proper burial. They wanted to mourn for their friend. And so they find themselves running, in essence, to the tomb to find Jesus and to finish bringing the spices. Now here's the crux of the matter at least as we find out in the passage, why are they going to the tomb? See, it's the crux of the whole resurrection understanding. See, there are questions in the other scriptures where it says, how are they going to roll the stone away? So it does seem like they took a lot of women. But when they get there, the stone is rolled away. It's gone. And as they go in, they find no Jesus. But then they have an encounter with angels. And the angels ask them a very specific question. And it's really, it's a rebuke. And the rebuke is this, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now we know it's a gentle rebuke because when Jesus is with the men on the road to Emmaus in verse 25, he's at, he says to the men, oh foolish ones, are you still so slow of heart? That you don't understand. But these angels give a gentle rebuke to the women and say, why do you seek the living among the dead? And the angels say something. They said, remember what Jesus had told you. Remember the word. See, and I want you to grasp this. Even when we are headed in the wrong direction or in the wrong place, God is there ahead of us, ready to point us back in the right direction. See, Why did Jesus send the angels? Because he knew the women needed to hear the place to go and find the risen Savior. So God does that. He meets us where we are. He points us back because he wants us to understand the real Jesus. See, these women knew Jesus, but they didn't really understand. They thought that he was going to be a savior of a political system. Maybe we have imaginary Jesus of our own. Who do we know as the real Jesus? Would we have gone with the women and just to pay our respects? See, what happens is these women, they hear the message of the angels, and what do they do? They believe. And then they become messengers to go and tell. And so God sets them up to be these women who are given this great understanding of Jesus being risen from the dead and he sends him back to the disciples. Now before we get to the disciples, I want to unpack the promises that God gave to us. And the first thing we have to remember is that his promises are fulfilled. So the scripture passage that was read earlier from Isaiah 53 is a passage that points forward to what Jesus goes through. It was promised 
And it was fulfilled. And so we need to make sure that we remember the word of God because in the word of God is where we find truth. Listen to what Kent Hughes says. The prophetic word from Jesus and even the entire corpus of the Bible is central to the gospel. Jesus' atoning death is fully only, only stood only in the light of the whole world. His resurrection is only understandable in conjunction with his word. In point of fact, those who have rejected the prophetic word rejected the resurrection, just as Jesus has taught they would. If they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, then they will not be convinced even as someone rises from the dead. And see, isn't that true? Even at this point, remember, it's just been a few weeks since Lazarus was brought forth from the dead. How quickly and how soon we forget Even those of us who say that we've been Christian for years, do we not still struggle trusting Christ? Trusting that God's going to do what he says he's going to do? So over and over, he's teaching us from the word, trust him, obey him. He is always faithful. And he's faithful to all of his promises. Listen, Jesus had told them at least three times in every gospel account and extra times in the book of John that he would have to go to Jerusalem, that he would have to be handed over to sinners, that he would have to be crucified, that he would be then resurrected in three days. He told them over and over and over again. Yet they still didn't remember. And so the followers of Christ knew what needed to happen. Alexander McLaren says this, though. He says this is a good thing. He says, the evidential value of the disciples' slowness to believe cannot be overrated because, again, it's not a cheap believism. The disciples have to work through their faith. They have to to, to begin to understand, is this really true? See, we live in a day and an age where we talk about the risen king, and there's a lot of theories out there. And so some of the theories that are out there is one is the swoon theory. And this says that when Jesus was taken down off the cross and he was put into the, the cool tomb, that he really wasn't dead. He just had passed out. And so when he got in the coolness of the tomb and he was laid there on the rock, that he somehow was resuscitated. And as he was resuscitated, now listen to this. He's, remember what happened to Jesus. He was beaten so badly on his front and his back that they could not recognize him any longer as a human being. He had to carry the the beam of the cross. He had nails driven into his wrists and into his feet. He had a spear stuck into his side. And the people think that Jesus, after all of that, and bound in linen cloths, was able to get up. He takes the clothes off, puts them neatly on the rock, is able to move this huge stone and walk away. Now that, people, is Superman. But that doesn't happen. There's also the theory that's out there of everybody had a hallucination. Now think about what a hallucination is. Hallucinations are private. When you have a... When you're at night and you have a dream... And even if the the dream is bad or whatever, and you reach over and you smack your spouse because of something they have done wrong in your dream, are they aware that they have done that in your dream? 
No. So why would they put this theory out there that over 500 people had the same hallucination about the risen Jesus? Can't happen. Then there's the theory of the conspiracy. That everyone was in a conspiracy to come and take Jesus. And so they, they had all of this evidence that they would say is that, you know, the disciples came in the middle of the night. Now, again, why would you, if you're moving, you, if you had to take out some Roman soldiers, you've had to move the stone, why would you go in there and undress the body? That makes no sense, does it? Wouldn't you be running in there as quickly as possible, grabbing the body with all the stuff? I mean, it's going to look weird anyways running through this, the city or the township or out to the Mount of Olives with this huge body strapped on your back with things bouncing around and things falling off of them. But yet they still tried to put this forth. See, here's what the, Dr. Luke is trying to give to us. He's saying, I'm giving to you the evidence so that you might recognize the truth that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. Now again, we can have all the evidence in the world and still reject it. Don't believe me? Why do people still smoke? Don't believe me? Why do we still eat sugar? There's a lot of evidence out there that doesn't change what we believe or what we do. And the Bible, listen, can be rejected. You can hate the Bible for what it says because it messes your day up. You can ignore the Bible, but its impact on those who believe it can't be discounted. So there's this evidence that mounds, and so the evidence comes, and the ladies run to the disciples, and it's... Now think about this. Why would the disciples distrust the ladies? They had to eventually ask the question, did you see Jesus raised from the dead? The ladies would have to answer, no. We didn't see him. Did he give us this, they were so early in the morning that again, maybe they had seen something that wasn't really there? For those, again, in the military, if you got up, I remember being woken up in boot camp, and they would come in banging trash cans at three-something in the morning. Get up, get up, and we'd have to stand on a line. And I really felt like I could sleep standing up because you're so tired. Were these ladies just so tired? Was it just so overwhelming that the disciples wouldn't even listen to them? So the evidence mounted, but they, they, they wouldn't trust. And that's where it really comes down to, right? Do we trust truth? And we ask the question, what is truth? Because again, in Christianity, it's not faith against reason, it's faith plus reason. So we understand because we are driven, and we have to ask the question, is this true? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Because if he hasn't, then we are wasting our time here. We need to be at the beach. And I'm serious about that. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, then we are wasting time because we have no Savior. 
And so we understand that there are people who will be martyred for something they really believe to be true, but they wouldn't do for lies. Chuck Colson, who was one of the um, lawyers for the Watergate, and he became a Christian while he was in prison as he was giving time for his part in the Watergate prison trials. So as he's in prison, he becomes a Christian. And what he does, he says, I believe the truth of the resurrection because of the witnesses of the disciples and others. Why? Because he said, I was a part of a government, the government of the world, with the most important people, and they could not keep their story straight, and they couldn't lie for a day before people were turning on each other. He said that was the thing that drove him to the belief of the scriptures. He says, why would the disciples lie, tell the whole world, and then go out and die for something they knew not to be true? doesn't happen the truth is Jesus is raised from the dead the question for us is do we put our trust in him do we really believe that he is the savior that the son of God risen from the dead or is he just simply a good teacher do you just read the bible and you just catch morals from it just be good people and I tell you quite often we don't need more Dr. Phil's and Oprah and Dr. Oz It's not feeling good about yourself. It's about needing a savior. Is Jesus our moral compass? Or is Jesus, for some of us, still dead? Because if we're honest, most of us try to still be our own saviors. We try to fix ourselves. But I'm here to tell you, he's alive. And for those who understand that, he makes a difference in our lives. Now let's go back to the story because the women have gone, they've told the disciples and others, it said, and they they looked at them, at the women and said, this is a fairy tale. You're, You're telling something that's untrue, except for one person, according to Dr. Luke. And that one person is Peter. Now, Peter, for those who don't know or those who do know, maybe you need to be reminded that it is Peter who's the troubled disciple. Remember, Peter was the one who promised Jesus, even if everybody else falls away, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus said to him, I'm telling you, Peter, before the night's over and the crows crows three times, you're going to deny me. Not me, Jesus. You ever promised Jesus something? Or promise somebody something, I would never do this. So here's Peter. He's gone through the situation. He's denied his Savior. He ran away. He's feeling the guilt. He's overwhelmed. And so he runs to the tomb. Because for him, he really is asking the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead. And so he runs, and when he gets there, he marvels. And again, part of the linen clause, why Luke gives us this um, understanding in these details, is because that's important. When Jesus was removed and risen, he was risen in a new body. And so he conquered sin and death 
And he conquered Satan himself. That's why we sang the song, where's your victory? You don't have it. You can't keep him. Jesus is alive. And no matter what all the dark forces tried to do, they could not keep him in the tomb. Because he was the Son of God. Matthew Henry says this in regards to us. Christians often perplex themselves about that which they should comfort and encourage themselves. Again, I'm like Peter. Easter for me is a, is a great time. I'm a pastor. Woohoo! Easter's also the time at my worst. Because it was over in Cocoa Beach at the little surfing contest that I was as drunk as I've ever been on this earthly place. Because I wanted to deaden the pain of my parents' divorce and I didn't want to deal with anything. And I lost my job because I drove home drunk and missed my time that I was supposed to be at the thing. And I looked at my mom and I remember this very clearly as I was starting to come down off my high you're the reason I'm like this. I hate you. My mom, being a godly woman, just took it. But she made sure I got up for Easter sunrise. Down in Melbourne Beach. Just a few hours later. And she was able to say, Jeffrey, you need the Savior. Because you need peace. See, that's what Peter, why he ran. He needed peace. He needed peace with God, first of all. Was the sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross accepted? We saw on Good Friday that Jesus, that God brings in the darkness. He rips the curtain in two. And he allows Jesus to cry out with these words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So we know the sacrifice was accepted. So did Jesus really conquer sin, Satan, and death? He rose again. And if you keep reading this story, he gets in the midst, and they still, the disciples, see Jesus. He just shows up. He doesn't even knock on the door. He shows up. And they still don't believe. And he says, fill my wounds. And listen, Jesus is the only one with a resurrected body who keeps the wounds and the scars from here. All of you broken bones, all of you have scars from different things in your new resurrected bodies. They go away, but not for Jesus. Because it's the proof that he gave his life for us. See, the body of the resurrection provided the irrefutable evidence that Jesus is who he claims to be. He is the Son of God. And because he's the Son of God, he brings to all of us here inward peace. I don't know where you're at. There are some people here who have probably felt like you've done something so bad that God can never forgive you for that. And that's a lie. It's a lie from the pits of hell itself. 
Nobody has done anything so evil or so bad that it could keep you from the love of Jesus Christ. He paid it all. But there might be people in here and you think, you're pretty good. You do a lot of good things. I'm telling you also, you have not done enough good things to earn God's love. The only thing we can do is to give our lives to Jesus Christ. And we do it. Why? Because he's alive. He's alive and he is well. And he's coming back. And we see the signs. The earth is not in a good place. But he's coming back. And this time he comes back as the conquering king. So it doesn't matter how you came to church this morning. It only matters how you leave. And so the Dr. Luke, and you've heard from this pulpit, the call to you. Will you believe that Jesus Christ is alive? And if he is, are you willing to give your life to him? And to be used by him to go and tell others we're sinners saved by grace. You go and tell other messed up sinful people about a perfect and glorious Savior. Jesus Christ is alive. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know people's hearts. I don't know those who are running from you, those who have run to you those who are struggling because you're bringing them through a situation of which they don't appreciate and they don't recognize as being good for them. Father, I know that you changed my life. A messed up jerk of a teenager who thought he had life figured out. So, Father, I'm grateful. Grateful for the celebration of Easter Sundays so that we might see the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, clearly, fresh and new every day. Father, we need you. And so, Father, take this day and make it about eternal things. Change those. Change all of us to look more like our Savior. For this we pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.